Blog Talk Radio. Gates, 41 years as a teacher in the Augusta, Maine public school system. Tom Wells served as an English teacher, a coach, and he would find out much more. Doctor, uh, Dear Mr. Wells, his students speak as a collection of memories, his own, but also that of many of the students that passed through his classroom. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Tori. Love to be here. Well, um, I came across you uh, because you had a table directly across from mine at the Booth Bay Book Fair up in Maine. And uh, for anybody who's never been to that, it's uh, it's always an annual fun event in an ancient little building. And we ended up uh, getting to talk, and I got to look at the book that inspired Dear Mr. Wells. Uh, tell us, first of all, about the presentation of that book, because was, that was the most fascinating thing I'd seen in a very long time. How, how it came to you? Tell me about that. Well, quite honestly, I had no plans on writing a book after my retirement. However, ironically, at my retirement party, I was gifted a very special object, which basically, I'm looking at it now, it's a three-ring binder, homemade three-ring binder that's about four inches thick, and inside its cover are letters, thank yous, uh, best wishes, from students dating all the way back to 1983. And basically it was put together by a dear friend of mine who was in my English department, Lori Roderick. And uh, she just um, kind of hired one of my students who graduated back in 2014. And together they um, put out the word that I was retired. And if anyone wanted to just wish me luck to do so. And what they got in return was far unexpected by them and certainly by me. Um, they got over 100 letters from students, and they had to be handwritten and sent snail mail, which is really important because it's easy to post something, and it's easy to do something online. It's not easy to, to write and put it in an envelope and send it. So uh, they just put together this three-ring binder with all the thank yous, and after receiving it and bringing it home, I let it sit in my house for a little while and opened it up around July, August after I retired. And I read the first letter and it immediately brought tears to my eyes. And I sat back and reflected on my career. And it really moved me, as you can tell by my voice right now. Uh, yeah. So it just was filled with well wishes that each and every one was powerfully meaningful to me and validated my 41-year career. Yeah. So you didn't actually look at the book, read the book so much until a little bit later. Yeah, I, I, I was very busy. I, I guide light water raft trips and, uh, for my summer at work, and I had a lot of things to do in the summer. So, you know, I just put it aside for when I could sit back and enjoy it, thinking it would take, you know, a day or two, but it took me over a year to read. <laughs> I had to process each and every letter. I can I can only imagine what that was like. Um, and I remember just looking at the book very briefly because people were coming in and everything. And I remember looking through some of it and just – I only read a little bit of it, but I was like looking at the handwritten notes and the different people's writing styles, and I, and, and I was just like, whoa – and yeah. <laughs> I wished I'd had more time to look at it. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'll be glad to bring it down to you any time. <laughs> well, you take, you take it with you when you go do, you do events and stuff, am I yeah, right? When I, when I speak, I, I, I just bring it, you know, in case, you know, people 
just want to take a look at uh, obviously visual aids are helpful in presentations and most people use powerpoints i use you know things you can touch <laughs> well that's and that's the thing it's it's like that was just such an elaborate thing and uh i could i remember seeing during the during the book signing i remember people looking over it and and I could just imagine them marveling at at what they were touching as well as reading. And yes, the visual is and the touchy as. Oh God, um, you might even know who this is. Uh, Bill Yates was a longtime um, television reporter for for WCSH TV yes. in Portland. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Bill was my Bill was my communications and journalism instructor at St. Joseph's for. Oh really. Wow. Yeah, for like the last couple of years I was there and he taught uh, a public relations class and one of the things he loved to say was people love touchy feely and we then of course made incredible jokes about what we what we would use in situations that would be touchy feely and some of it was pretty silly but I never forgot that. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's important. <laughs> So yeah, it was so yes, that's that's a man that uh, really had a he had an influence on me in terms of when I did approach journalism later in my radio career. So yeah, it was just uh it was something there, but now Tom, before we get into the people in this book, let's start with you. Now, you grew up in the New York City area. Tell us about your beginnings. All right, well, I grew up in a small town called Montrose, which is about 40 miles directly up the Hudson River from New York, in fact, New York City. Uh, in fact, I could see the Hudson River from my bedroom window. Um, um, I went to a, a high school called Hendrick Hudson High School, which was a school of about 1,000 kids, and participated. You know, I was a good student, not great, but good, typical male. Um, you know, get, <laughs> is, is get work done well, but don't spend too much time on it because of other things to do. And I was distracted by sports and things like that. But I was lucky. I, I got accepted into Bates College, which is a very competitive college in Maine. Um, mm -hmm. And I, it was basically, quite honestly, um, it, I, I was accepted mainly because they needed a pole vaulter. <laughs> okay. Uh, my grades were were got me in barely, but the track coach was very aggressive about um, following me. And... Uh, He's pretty much got me in. So I went to Bates. Um, I, quite honestly, almost flunked out, which I mention that because it may, helps me relate to kids who are struggling in school. Um, mm -hmm. And started as a pre-med major, which was way too much work. So I changed <laughs> to psychology because I was told it was the easiest major at Bates. And I, I took a lot of psychology classes and it, I figured out that I would have to go to grad school uh, if I wanted to get a job in psychology, and I didn't want to go to grad school. So mm -hmm. I was told that I could minor in in, edu uh, in education. Well, actually, I could get my education certificate, and I decided to minor in English because I love to read. Mm -hmm. So I read a lot, and I did get certified to teach English, and I was hired uh, by Coney High School in Augusta, Maine, I was actually informed by my uh, counselor at Bates while I was waiting in the graduation line <laughs> to get my diploma. <laughs> so I was very lucky to get a job, and quite honestly, I got the job uh, because they needed a football coach. And um, in my interview, actually, for the job, someone said, uh, you know, we do need a football coach, blah, 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 blah. And by the way, you teach English. I said, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up at Coney and I was there for 41 years. That's pretty amazing. Um, now, your entrance to the public school system is right around the time I got into middle school up in Vermont. And there's one thing that in, in when I was researching this and, and coming up with the questions for this interview – I was about 11 years old when I got into seventh grade, 11 or 12, and I remember a number of teachers in this high school, middle slash high school, and there were so many young teachers that got foisted on us seventh and eighth grade kids. Right, exactly. 
And I just remember certain ones, and I, I've always wondered whatever happened to some of them because I just remember, well, I wasn't exactly enamored with my middle and high school experience, but I do remember some of the teachers who did um, inspire me in certain ways and others who did not. And as I say, did you know, when I look at them, did you have any expectations or maybe trepidations of what you were about to face? No, I, as I mentioned before, I was a typical male, and my future in my world was like what was for lunch. I never really thought <laughs> above and beyond that. I just stepped into the classroom, though, and, and enjoyed it. I didn't quite honestly know what I was doing or really why I was there, um, but I did, I did know that I liked it, and it, it makes me believe, and I really would like to push this idea um, throughout the educational training system in the United States is that teaching is not something you can uh, educate a person in if if they're not born to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because it's all about forming relationships. It's all about having a passion for what you're doing. The kids pick up on that automatically. And from that point on, they will jump through any hoop for you. But they sense when teachers are unhappy or not satisfied with their job. I was just lucky mm-hmm. to have fallen into it. I mean, by the title of my 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 uh, portfolio, which is what they call the group of letters given to me for my retirement, was called Dumbass Luck. <laughs> well, that's that's the next question I have is, tell us about the dumbass incident. Well, um <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I, I said, I taught for 41 years and the, my biggest accomplishment, I think that I'd like to share with other educators, not once in 45, 41 years did I send a student to the office. Right. Now that doesn't sound like much, but it's huge. <laughs> um, and I, 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 I didn't because I didn't have to. And basically, um, you know the important thing that teachers should know, and it's part of my uh, my theme in my keynote speeches when I speak at teacher workshops, is if you can create a relationship with a kid, a truly positive one, they will do anything for you. They'll be happy, they'll work hard, and when they go home, they're going to tell mom and dad, and mom and dad are going to see their grades improve and see. Um, their products improve more importantly, and see that they're happy. And not once did I get a call, a, a call from an irate parent, which is pretty much unheard of. So um, the dumbass luck is I had to show you that I had relationships with the kids because I used to do stuff that may be deemed as pol- politically incorrect, but they, it always worked. And I... Basically, I'm not sure what year I got into this, but I used to tell kids when they started acting up, or I would say, hey, listen, stop acting like a dumbass. Uh, or I call them a dumbass. And when I tell teachers this, they, they it's always a collective, oh, my God. <laughs> but the irony is kids begged me to call them dumbasses because they knew it was, you know, kind of my way of telling them I liked them. And I got the expression from Red Foreman on the, from the 70s show. Uh, he used to call mm-hmm. people dumbass. And it was, oh, he was curmudgeonly. I don't know if you're familiar with it, the 70s yes, show. Yes, I probably am. Are. But, you know, whenever he called someone dumbass, you could always tell because he cared about them. And that was kind of the way I used it, too. And that's why kids clamored <laughs> to me to be called that. <laughs> I think you know what it also is now now I've never I I cannot recall any teacher calling any of us dumbasses though we certainly deserved it at times and I know I did um I don't recall a teacher ever swearing or anything like that uh in all of my years and again as I say some of us certainly had that brought on to us but I think what what it might also be is that some of the kids didn't mind being called that because it's like Hey, he recognizes me. Exactly. He knows I'm here. <laughs> exactly. That's a, a very good observation. And you know, if kids 
at, at any age, despite their situation, at times in their lives, they need someone to recognize them and value them. And ironically, that's what dumbass did for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely want to ask you about a couple of a uh, couple of the students. I mean, I mean, we could go for hours on some of these folks, but uh, early in the book. The interaction you had with this young fellow named Billy, what really struck me about that was you made a point of when he was in a mood, you know, you you made a point of asking what the issue was. And you use skills that my college speech communication instructor would have done almost not to the letter, but you cut through what he was saying to get to him. Now, was that training or was that just instinct? Oh, that's just instinct. Although, you know, I I don't know, I, I've given this some thought recently, but I don't know, since I did major in psychology um, and minored in English and got my certification in teaching, I may have learned that in my psych classes, but I certainly don't consciously remember learning it. But mm-hmm. it just, you know, it just came out. <laughs> there was no thought put into it. Well, yeah, because it was, it was sort of like he was just making sort of a general... A, you know, comment, and you got in on that, and he was just, you know, and, and it, I, I identified with him a lot because he just seemed like here was this really bright kid, but he seemed really troubled about things. And I think, I think every one of us, if we haven't been through a troubling situation in school, we probably weren't even really there. Right. <laughs> Few students avoid that. Yeah, and and what was tell us a little more about him. I know when when people read your book, they're going to find out about him. But what also stood out for you on him? Well, it, it's I, I'm he was definitely um, distracted. He loved basketball and was a good basketball. In fact, he was a starter as a freshman on the basketball team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really connected with them because in the very beginning of every school year, I have a kid write an autobiography, all my students do. And, mm-hmm. and it's their writing assignment, which is graded, and, you know, we talk about writing styles and things like that. But the, my goal, basically, is so I get to know each and every kid from, from the get-go. And I knew mm-hmm. that he did not have a great family situation, but I also knew that basketball was his passion. So... I, every day I stand by my door, and when kids come in, you know, I talk to them and ask them questions, and I always ask them, I say, hey, how's hoop going? When, when's first practice starting in November? And when hoop started, I'd go to the games, and or I'd follow him in the newspaper, and he knew he knew that I was, uh, you know, I cared about him. And he, when he was, he would work in my class far better and put far more effort than any of the other classes. So he had an outburst one day, mainly because he didn't understand something, and he really wanted to do well, which was very unlike him. <laughs> and he just blurted out, this is stupid, just you know, as loud as he could. <laughs> and every kid around him looked at me like, are you going to hit him or what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I tried to calm him down, and he... Basically, he wouldn't calm down. So I, I did say, come on, Billy, stop acting like a dumbass. Uh, and he did not take it well. And he looked around at all, his, all the kids around him. You see, you hear that? He just called me an ass. And this really cute girl right next to him said, well, that's because you're behaving like one. <laughs> I was great. It was like scripted. <laughs> and he, he was not happy the rest of the period. But... It took about a week to two weeks, and he was right back to normal, and he picked me. He On the basketball team, they all picked their favorite teacher to be recognized, and he picked me. <laughs> That's cool. Well, yeah. you know, there's one thing, too, um, in terms of that. I, I When I think about the teachers I had in, in, in school, and this extended to college as well, every instructor I ever had just had their own style and their own exactly. approach. and. You recall the number of your own teachers. It's like, do you think, did any of their methods rub off on you, do you think? Uh, methods from other teachers that I had growing up? Yeah, yeah, in school, college, that kind of thing. Well, you know, it's ironic in a way. I have reflected on that. Um, and I certainly 
remember coaches, um, mainly because I was more interested and involved in that. And I have uh, thought of some teachers that I think stylistically uh, have rubbed off on me. Anyone in particular? Well, it's interesting because the one I remember uh, most of all was um, also uh, my track coach. His name was Mr. Siami, and uh, he was my mm-hmm. English teacher junior year. And I really, when I first reflected on it, didn't think I had anything in common because he was a little, he was reserved um, and not quite as obnoxiously aggressive as I am. And, but, you know, when I give it for the thought, you know, a lot of his mannerisms in terms of uh, in classroom, you know, listening to the kids, looking them right in the eyes, sitting down next to them, and, you know, having his students know that he cared about them and he cared about me, I think uh, definitely had an impact on my teaching style. Very cool. We're uh, talking with Tom Wells, the author of the book, Dear Mr. Wells, His Students Speak, through Maine Authors Publishing here. And, um, Tom, I want to ask about, uh, there's a couple of um, chapters here that were pretty self-explanatory. Chapter 6 and 7 in your book, That Was Then and This Is Now. Um, oh, <laughs> this is now yeah. would even be three times as long right now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, indeed. And there's a lot of talk about the past and not just about school and, well, endemic in, in our society and in, in humanity is we have a lot of living in the past. You lived through a lot of changes in education, testing, dealing with students. When do you think you really started to see the changes? When did they start to come about? Oh, back in the early 90s, mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um the the ones that I remember most vividly is when they when they uh, started doing the the massive testing and the standardized testing and you know no child left behind kind of stuff. Um, right. But it's that's the the testing to me uh, was nothing more than a distraction. And mm. I. I Interestingly, I was the head of the English department for my last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Uh, I didn't want to be, but I liked the principal, and she asked me, and I said yes. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't even know what the common core English standards were. <laughs> and I was the, 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 the department head. <laughs> because the, the bottom line is the formula to successful education is getting the kids to produce. Being knowledgeable on your mm-hmm. subject, yes. But even the smartest people in the world, they can't communicate and have people listen to them. They're not going to get anything done. So it's establishing that positive relationship with the students and obviously having a vast knowledge of your subject. Now, mm-hmm. once you – once you know, that's why I never really looked at Common Core Standard Number 3, you know, you know, knows how to edit a paper or whatever. Because my curriculum, and this goes for all teachers, all teachers who know their subject matter, if they can get a kid anxious to learn, Mm -hmm. of course they're going to learn their subject matter, which the teacher has a grasp of, and the test results take care of themselves. (laughs) Very true. But too many teachers were looking at the test and not looking in the mirror and saying, hey, I know my stuff. I just have to get my kids to learn it, and yeah. I will line up with the curriculum, with the standards, and my kids will do fine. And I'm not saying my kids broke records or anything because they didn't, but mm-hmm. they learned as much as they could, and they left the high school knowing how to write succinctly and clearly, and communicate succinctly and clearly, and most importantly, they left model citizens. Yeah. Well, the thing I, I remember that uh, from my high school years, so this would have been like the early 1980s. I got out in 83, and yeah. I noticed it much more then. I was very fortunate to have a couple of really good English teachers, and there was a lot of freedom when it came to writing or to come up with certain, you know, and, and there was more freedom in terms of what kind of books we read. And uh, each teacher had their own thing of what they thought 
would work and you know some were classics and uh some some were were books that were sort of a bit off of the mark a little bit but i remember those were the ones that always interested me and probably were the ones that made me think hell i can i can write these i can i can write this kind of stuff myself (laughs) and um yeah and it's kind of like um you you said a really interesting thing that's like of the teacher's started to look at the test but not themselves and exactly that's you know was it a were they starting to doubt themselves or was it the powers that be pointing the finger at them and suddenly they're thinking maybe we're not as good as we think well i i i've always been lucky and had um, really wonderful administrators um mm-hmm. and a lot had to do with obviously my success in the classroom and them leaving me alone um but i think uh, the, the tests themselves. I mean, I don't know why anyone would want to be an administrator because it just it just distances you from the most important thing, and that's the kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you yes. know, I do know administrators have to do what they do. They have to when they're told that the Common Core we have to do this and meet these things. They have to uh, at least introduce that to the faculty and make sure the faculty you know, is knowledgeable in whatever has come down the pike that year for testing or educational protocol. Um, but I just, um, I truly, I mean, my I, I was supposed to give a, a, a statewide keynote uh, this coming Saturday, which was just canceled yesterday, and my whole goal was to, you know, uh, create an atmosphere in that room where they felt validated, where they felt not only needed, but productive. And I wanted to help them move forward, especially with this virus going on. I mean, obviously, as I can't imagine being an educator now, you know, going to distance learning, uh, which <laughs> takes away the person in there, which, as you probably can tell, I believe is the most important element in the education of a child. Um, but mm. just the stuff that educators have to deal with nowadays, my goal for any speech I give to educators is to diffuse the situation and remind them why they're there and also to reinforce the fact that they are an important element in the success of a kids in a very important time in their lives. Yeah. And you know, and it's interesting too because um, I, you know, student, you know, teachers are dealing with so much more now than just educating the kids and and dealing with like the standards and and knowing, you know, and just even oh. you know thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, we look at. I mean, I remember what I went through. Yeah, and I mean, I went through you know the stuff that I went through in terms of, um, you know, I I mean, I was no different than anyone else who didn't fit in. I experienced bullying all through my time, yeah. and I know what it did to me. I know that it made me, and considering that when you felt that a number of your teachers were just looking the other way and not getting involved and letting things happen, it was kind of like well, why do I even want to be here? And it was one of the reasons that I transferred to a different school. And it was a much tougher school academically, and I just barely got out of it, but I'm glad I did. It wasn't much better, but there you are. Um, I think the prevalence of a lot of the things that teachers are facing was there then, and it still is now. I think bullying is one example of that. There just seems to be more focus on it. Yeah, it's you know that's true with anything. You know, the news picks what it wants to focus on, and that's what gets the attention. I truly think, and this is not this is a no-brainer. Uh, the biggest um, hurdle to educators now is the cell phone. Really? Oh, it's absolutely. Well, look at this. Walk into any airport. What do you see? Adults totally distracted and not communicating, yep. and in their own little world. And that's adults. But, I mean, with kids, yeah. I mean, can you imagine having a cell phone when you were 13? <laughs> oh, God, I've, I've thought about it, and I, I would have been in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have, I, I do want to share this quick story with you. I think your your listeners might sure. enjoy it. I did have uh, a teacher trick that I used to, Eliminate cell phones from my classroom, or even having kids take them out. Says uh, mm-hmm. usually the, the first day of school, 
Um, I, I I looked at my class rosters, and I always find a bunch of students that I had a close relationship with, and I'd pick one. And I'd put on the way into my classroom on the first day of school, you know, let's say the person's name is George. I'd pull George aside and say, George, hey, how you doing? How was your summer? I'd talk with him a little while. I'd say, hey, you want to start the school year off having a really cool time? And he'd say, sure. I'd say, okay, here, I want to talk to you. And I'd go through my plan with him, which I'm not going to share with you because I'm going to tell you about it. And uh, so we'd go in, and I'd be giving my speech, my first day speech, and going over classrooms and protocol and things like that. And I said, listen, uh, there's one one rule in here that you have to follow, and that's respect. Respect one another, respect yourselves, and respect me. I promise you I will do the same to you, and you'll be so surprised at how far you get in this class and with one another, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So uh, George, while I'm saying that, takes his cell phone out, which – I I look at him and I say, George, come on. Remember, I just went over respect. You're not respecting me. Please put it away. You know, there's no cell phones in the classroom unless we take them out for research or something. So he puts it away. Five minutes later, he takes it out while I'm talking. And in a more angry voice, I say, George, come on. You know, you're my bud. We're pals. You're not respecting me. It really hurt my feelings, you know, whatever. Please put it away. And he put it away. Five minutes later, he takes out again, and I'd walk over, and I'd grab it out of his hand, sprint over to the window, open it up, and throw it out the window, and have it smash on the concrete parking lot below. <laughs> now, you probably figured out, that's a cell phone I gave him uh, when I spoke with him in the beginning, you know, outside in the hallway, but the look of horror on all the students' faces was, I don't know why I never snapped a, a shot, because I don't know how to use the camera on my cell phone, but <laughs> um, I never had cell phone problems after that. <laughs> wow. Now, of course, the word would get out. George would tell his friends after a couple of weeks, but they figured if I was crazy enough to do that, even as a joke, <laughs> I might be crazy <laughs> enough to actually do it, so they never took their cell phones out again. <laughs> Uh, you have just you have just given teachers the world over a great tool. <laughs> well, uh, you I, know, I, I would be blessed if they one used that trick. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. That's it, it's like that's that's the kind of thing that would work because it's like you see the rules about like I I, I remember seeing I don't know who did it I don't know if anybody actually does it but I remember seeing like a, there was like a box and all the kids had to drop their cell phones into the box or some such thing as that when they came into class and people were like oh what's that all about and it's like but you just did the thing that would have been like they they would have been like okay we're shutting it off now and we're not <laughs> I just thought that was great yeah yeah. <laughs> Well, here's another thing, too. I wanted to get on to this as well because, as we said before, teachers having their own styles, and um, I didn't always myself see educators um, uh, using a different style or trying anything unusual, but I, I will say this because I write myself. I was really moved by one of what you did with one of your students and how you handled this girl named Mackenzie. You used to let uh, this girl – yeah, you used to let Mackenzie sit out in the hall and write uh, things like that, outside the box thinking. And I, I mean, I again, here's another one I identified with because it was like I probably was Mackenzie for a lot of my high school years. Yeah. That's tell me about her a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but do tell me about this girl. Um, well, she she was – uh, in that year, they gave me a. They invented a class uh, for kids who did not pass eighth grade English, but for usually societal reasons. So they let them come to freshman year. And it was called the freshman seminar, and it was filled with about 18 to 20 kids who literally did not pass English. Mm-hmm. And um, she had a really horrific home life, and I only knew that because I, I, I recall giving her a ride home one day because she didn't have one, and where I dropped her off was very scary, and I sped out of there very quickly. <laughs> um, mm. But, you know, like my students, you know, all my students, she knew I cared about her, and um, 
she, I mean, if you look at her letter, it's really quite well written. And every, each and every letter in that portfolio is well written. And I'm really proud of that because despite the fact whether they like to read or write before they came in my class, they, each and every one of them, learn how to communicate effectively because they work their asses off um, to please me and to a T, that hard work, each and every one of them says they never felt so good. So, you know, you teach two things. You teach a life skill, hard work pays off and makes you feel good, and you teach communication skills. And she fell into that mold, and um, she it, – it's fun to see. I don't use Facebook much, but when one of my students like Mackenzie posts something about how happy they are, uh, I, I, I feel like a proud dad. Well, that's cool. And that's the thing. It's like um... – Teachers, do you think maybe later in your career you noticed it as years went on? And um, my interactions with other folks who worked in in the school system, either as teachers, my sister-in-law worked in the school system I didn't graduate from a number of years as well. And um, there is the 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 observation that many of them gave to me was is that we're being looked at to do more than just be that. We're becoming, we're not just there for the academics, we are becoming something that kids are leaning on just a little bit more because, like you're saying, Mackenzie's home life, that sort uh, of thing. Do you see that? You must have felt that change and really started to see it at certain points. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, you know, I actually haven't given that a great deal of thought since I kind of put all my students in the, in the one basket, but in reflecting right now, you know, there's no little doubt that, you know, at the turn of the century, um, definitely things uh, financially, um, you know, I get a lot of kids. The school I taught at was not, uh, was in the lower end socio- socioeconomically. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the monetary part, the, the, the poverty part, in combination with, you know, the, the divorce rate, I, I looked up the statistics sometime, but it's like three times higher than it was back in the 80s. Um, so mm-hmm. you're looking at more single parent families, or and then you add, you know, the sexual identity to it. I mean, it's complicated now. <laughs> it's yes, absolutely it crazy. Is. Yeah. Well, I must now ask Tom as uh, we go along here. We are looking at uh, the next step for you, which was um, this book and. Um, I may have already asked this question, but there was a point where you decided a book was in order. And and for those who wonder, dear Mr. Wells, it's rather a, a, a slim volume, and it is a it is it's. I wouldn't say it's a fast read, because well, I wanted to be a fast gross. read because it's going to be. Uh, it's been required reading for teachers. Um, uh, oh, they, they will see that. That was my first kind of target. My my first target was no target. I just had to write it. Yep. And then while I was writing it, I'm saying. I'm reflecting back to all the years in education where the entire staff had a required read, okay. uh, professional development read. <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, I might as well market my book. At least part of my market will be educators. And it opened up the door for me to motivationally speak at some of those teacher workshops, which ended up having the superintendent write me a rather large check for usually hundreds of copies to make it a required read. So I had their fate in mind. And I tell, when I speak to, to teachers, I say, I'm standing up here and I know two things. The first thing I know is you hate me because when I sat in your, in your seat, I hated speakers on workshop days. <laughs> and I said, I can understand that. And I said, you're going to hate me also because I've written a book that your administration is going to make a required read. And I know you have so much on your plate that you hate me even more, but I kept it short. <laughs> well, then, well, that's the thing. I read a little differently than most people, but uh, no, I think I can see your point there. And, um, how difficult was the process to make it a quick read? Was it? Did you have to change your preconceived idea or whatever? No, it, it quite honestly it ended up that way. 
I I got to a point. In fact, I, I spoke with a, a friend who had who had retired, who gave it a quick look for me. He's he's one of the most brilliant people I know, and uh, he looked at me. He said, "Tom, you're one of my best friends." He said, "But I have to share with this." I said, "I Subaru. That's what, I want some feedback." He goes, "Stop now." <laughs> I said, "Why?" He goes, "Because you're getting redundant." And uh-huh. he said, I know that you have dozens more letters you want to share. He said, but they all say the same thing. And quite honestly, it's getting, I said, Sabu, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why, I mean, quite honestly, I, I have a, uh, not a, a sequel, if you will, in mind. In fact, I was going to introduce it at, uh, statewide workshop I was uh, presenting at next week. I want to have a follow-up book that's filled with teacher narratives that capture a life-changing moment they had with a student. And mm-hmm. I was going to introduce it at that workshop and actually put it out there to teachers to see if anybody wanted to do that. And I also was going to um, – the, there's a student that I've been mentoring who wants to be a writer. I was going to give that, give him the editing job of editing these teachers' narratives and come up with not Dear Mr. Wells, but, you know, whatever. I haven't come up with a title yet, but I think narratives are a little more fun to read. And it's easy to read one at a time and put a lot of blocks of time in between the two, you know, between – and uh I also want teachers to share their stories. <laughs> I don't want it to be about That's Tom cool. Wells. That's cool. Well, tell us now about Maine Authors Publishing. How did you come in contact with them? Well, you, you live in Maine, so that, that obviously had a hand in it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, there's I go to a writing retreat every July for a week. I started about 10 years ago. Ironically, uh, in, in the teaching world, you have to get recertified. I don't know how many years, every five or ten years, you have to get recertified, which means you have to take at least three three credit classes uh, that have to do with your subject in order mm-hmm. to get relicensed. So this mm-hmm. happened to be one of my classes, so to speak, to, to sign up and attend um, a, a class up at the University of Maine in Orono, which was filled with mostly English teachers, but teachers who like to write, and we just we would sit around and I I would go down to the river. We'd talk in the morning for about an hour and about our ideas and things, and then they cut us loose for like four hours to go write. And I would always go down to the Stillwater River and put out my chair and break out my uh, old Mac laptop and write for <laughs> three or four hours, and then you go back and have a big editing session. So I do that every summer, and it was that group that interested me uh, in writing and introduced the main authors uh, publishing uh, that came to speak at a workshop, their workshop, um, back in about 2012. Mm-hmm. So that's how I well, got introduced to them. Very cool. Now, you've been talking about you, you, you now work primarily as a speaker, like a motivational speaker, and uh, – you and you had indicated that it's like I know you hate me, but here I am. <laughs> and uh, how, how, how different is that? Getting up full of in in front of a like a hall full of adults uh, as compared to say a room full of kids. Well, it's not different at all because you know you get in front of a group of kids. You know, if you haven't created a relationship with them, they automatically hate you <laughs> because you're a teacher. And you know, but see. Like kids, I know kids because I still am a kid at heart, and I knew how to create relationships with them, uh, and which was very successful. Now with teachers, obviously I know them. I was one for 41 years. I, that's why I open up with, "I know you hate me," but it's followed <laughs> up with, "You hate me, but I, I, I have a message. I have things to share with you that I think will prove far more meaningful and make you feel good by the time you leave this room." and Every place I've spoken so far has, I've had dozens of people come up and say, you didn't lie. Wow. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's fun. It, it is. I mean, I, I'm a ham, as you can tell by 
you know, the fact I have diarrhea of the mouth when I'm talking to you right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one I, of my seventh grade teachers, one of my seventh grade teachers used to say that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I thought I'd made it up. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I'm convinced it was in seventh grade. I just can't. It was probably my English teacher. It was probably Mrs. Stuckert because she would say things like that now and then. Yeah. And you you (laughs) sit back and and take notice, right? (laughs) Um, We did kind of. I I remember the first time I heard it and I was like, what? And I was like, oh. Now me, I would have been like, oh, okay. Got it, and then probably would have forgotten it within about two minutes. But there you have it. That's that was my mind when I was eleven. <laughs> but well, that's, uh, anyways, main, not main nor- not abnormal. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. You talked a little bit about these narratives. Now, is this the next book that that is going to come out, or or are you working on something else? Uh, I'm not working on anything at this point in time, with the exception of. Um, I might go back and, and pop into my book if I find something. I might make some small edits or things along those lines. But um, uh, it's either that or another idea I came up with, which is similar, is I, when I was uh, teaching at Coney, uh, I was also known as the uh, contest-aholic. I used to love mm-hmm. entering my kids in writing contests. In fact, mm-hmm. Um, I used to love it mainly because we never lost the writing contest. And I am horrifically proud of that. Um, <laughs> and it was a, it's a wonderful way to teach writing. You, you give a kid a genuine audience, it's, it's absolutely amazing where that takes their writing quality-wise. When they know a real person, not a teacher who's a fake person, a real person is going to read it. <laughs> and the, the products I used to get, I, I was so proud of. And um, I am proud of the fact that, that you know, we never lost a, a statewide writing contest. Um, some of them went outside state. So um, mm-hmm. it's, it's writing to a, a, an original audience is important. But I got so excited about that, I forgot your original question. Um, and I think I forgot it too. Oh, good. You make me feel great now. <laughs> well, the main thing I guess to ask is, um, where can we get this book? Where, where is it available? Well, it's not, it's not available yet. Um, it's, and no, I meant, I, I meant your current my, one. Uh, my current one? Well, yeah. you can order it from my website. That's the most predominant, um, place and it's tomwellsteacher.com. Mm-hmm. And this does expose my huge um, shortcoming, and that is promoting my book and giving people avenues to to, to purchase it. And that's that, along with some local bookstores in Maine, um, are the only two places. Because I've been so busy kind of promoting it as a motivational speaker, I haven't created a Facebook page yet. I haven't done a lot of the technology stuff, which I'm sure would result in not huge sales, but far increased sales. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I <laughs> my my goal was to hire one of my students who had graduated as my coordinator, my social media coordinator, and that has yet to happen as well. Not for not because anyone's refused, but for lack of trying on my part. <laughs> so online well, at this it, point in time. Well, the thing, and the thing too, is even with an independent publisher like Brown Posey Press, we still have to do a lot of legwork, and uh, we we wear a fair number of hats. So, I mean, I do I do all my I do pretty much all of my social media stuff, but we do have some people helping us, and uh, at the same time, you do find. It's like you do have to get out there and do those things, but uh, the, the 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 inside track you have when you have that your your book is required reading for other teachers that must be like the most satisfying thing beyond any payoff. Yeah, especially since I have I I have people go out of their way to contact me uh, about how meaningful a read it is. In contrast to perhaps other ones that talk more how to do things, not why to do things. 
I see. All right. Well, we have come to our time, and uh, Tom, it was great to it was great to meet you last summer, and it was awesome to talk to you once again. I'm glad I finally got you on the show. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, put the good word out there about teachers, and I hope uh, at least one of your people have listened. <laughs> Well, I hope. Well, I, I I'm sure that they will, and I'm sure that uh, we're gonna. We, we've gotten a few lessons, some life lessons, and some teaching lessons as well out. So we'll see what happens with that. Well, I'm gonna come back. I'm going to try to do the Booth Bay Book Festival again this summer. If if not yeah, there, I hope I'll it. see you. Yeah, absolutely. If not, uh, I've got a couple other ones I signed up for too, and it was through Main Office Publishing. Just to give them a little shout out, but you know, right. they are, There's a number of. I think bookstores that do have my book, but I'm not aware of who they are. Besides here, the Wayne General Store. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Okay. Thanks again, Tom. Really appreciate All right, it. Thanks, Tori. You have a good day. You too. Our guest has been Tom Wells, author of Dear Mr. Wells, His Students Speak, available at Maine Authors Publishing and TomWellsTeacher.com. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Tori Gates, author of the current release, Searching for Roy Buchanan, and the forthcoming sequel, Call It Love. This is the Book Speak Network. Mm-hmm.